I pray people who've been bearing burdens they have no business bearing, lay them down in Jesus' name. I pray for broken people that you would just begin to form and shape them and bring them back together through the grace and the power of the cross and your love in Jesus' name. This is about you, Father. This is about you, Father. Do your business. Heaven come. Heaven come. Heaven come touch this place. Heaven come touch this room. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. We ask that you kiss this place with heaven. That you touch this place with heaven in Jesus' name. Do you want that church? Do you want that church? God wants to move this morning. Let him move. Let him move in your heart. Let him move in your soul. Let's do our declaration together this morning. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. Praise God. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25. Is that correct? For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto where ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who then when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, because, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins, his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were a, a sheep going astray, but you are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Let us pray. Let your word be declared. I pray these people are open. And I pray your voice, O Holy Spirit, be louder than the voices of the enemy, the voices on the inside of us who tell us lies. I pray our hearts be open to truth spoken in love. I pray you use our pastor, Lord, as he brings the word of God. Let it go into us and let it change us from the inside out. We're thankful that we know you, that you are our good shepherd. And I pray people come home to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, amen. So good to see every one of you here today. We're so thankful that you're in the house of the Lord. And my lands, can you give the Lord one more hand clap of what he's doing in the house? Wow, what a tremendous anointing and refreshing and such a presence of the Lord in the house. Uh, before I get started, I want to ask you a question to help you, you help me and a situation that I, how many of you believe I'm wearing a blue shirt? Raise your hand. How many believe I'm wearing a green shirt? Raise your hand. Me or my wife, neither one is right. <laughs> Amen. Have you ever had those kind of differences where, Honey, that don't match. That, that's blue. No, that's green. No, that's not green. That's blue. And that's what we went through this morning, so I thought to get popular opinion, and you have not helped one bit. <clears throat> I thought I'd get her this morning. I know it's blue. I just know it is. Praise the Lord. She says it's green. 
Today we're going to be uh, uh, talking about being an imitator of Christ, and we're going to—you'll see that later on in the the message if we can get through it here. Um, I heard a story one time, and it's an old story, and all of my jokes and stories are old because I get them from Bud Middleton. <laughs> Love you, Bud. Uh, there was a young boy, and he come to his father, and he said, "Dad, I'd like to have a car." And the father said, well, that's not unusual at your age. All, all boys want a car. And he said, we'll try to help get you a car, but there's going to be a couple of things you're going to have to do. He said, I've been raising you in church. I've been trying to raise you to do right. I've been trying to make you the finest young man that there is. I'm trying to bring out the qualities of a, of a, a manhood in your life. There's just a few areas that you're going to have to work on. And for, as an initiative, I'll get you a car if you meet just a couple of those stipulations. So, well, what are they? And he said, well, number one, you've got to bring up your grades. It's very important that you begin to uh, take your education seriously, and we've been on you about bringing up your grades, and you, we've tried everything that we know to do, and your grades are just slumping, and you're going to have to bring up them grades. The second thing you have to do is get a haircut. Boy, I've been on you, and I'm, I'm getting impatient. You're going to have to get your haircut. So the boy, I said, okay, I'm going to try to do it. He said, son, I want you to be an imitator of Christ. I want you to do everything that Christ does. I want you to be strive for excellence, strive to be have perfection. Even though the apostle Paul strove and did not meet it, yet he, he wanted it, he desired it. Be all that you can be, son. And he gave him this big speech. After this speech, and a few months had passed, the boy come up and said, Dad, I think I'm ready for my car. And he said, well, what do you mean you're ready for your car? He said, well, here's my report card. And his report card was just straight A's. Man, he blew it out of the water. His father said, man, I am so impressed. You've done a great job. Begin to brag on him. He said, but son, how about that haircut? He said, well, I got to thinking about what you said, and you wanted me to mimic Jesus. And he said, you know, Dad, he said, if I'm going to mimic Jesus, Jesus had long hair. And he said, yeah, but he walked everywhere he went. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Mimicking Jesus is not always easy. How many knows that? This morning, there's a great burden on my heart as a pastor, as a shepherd, and trying to lead you as a congregation that's always on me. And there's no doubt that we're living in some very uncertain times, some perilous times. And as we look around, we can see all kinds of world issues, movements, politics, and play that's affecting our very way of life. There's no doubt about it. It's nothing unusual for a pastor or a shepherd to address the issues of a nation, to make aware the pending dangers that encroach our very freedom to his congregation. And there's no doubt that there is forces in play right now even as I speak that is scheming and plotting and planning and seducing and deceiving in order to gain prominent power over the land. There is forces intruding on our very freedom of religion. There's forces intruding on our freedom of expression and our freedom of speech. And never before have we seen or witnessed antichrist spirits in play to advance the devil's cause and the devil's agenda to bring and exalt bad over good. As a matter of fact, that's nothing new. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. For John 10 and 10 tells us that that thief has come for one reason and one reason only, to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I love what Jesus said, but I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. If you believe in abundant life, would you just shout amen to me here today? Amen. These forces used to be so subtle in our, our, in our past and they moved so slow that they crept in unaware before you ever even knew they existed. And they used to be so subtle that it was difficult to analyze or describe or notice and they ended up, many of us, being blinded because of how subtle they were and they were honest before we knew what happened. But not now. These spirits are open. They're out of the closet. They're in your face. They're blatant. And instead of advancing gradually, they're going to extremes and being very obvious and unashamed. They're taking things beyond usual or beyond acceptable limits to get what they actually want. This is crafty within itself because what they're pushing, what they're advocating, what they're supporting is so extreme and over the limits that people cannot believe that what they're doing can ever even happen or come to pass. I was talking to one of my family members the other day who was going to vote for a politician that was on what I call the four left extremist and I asked him, I said, how in the world can you do that? Do you not know what they stand for? Do you not know what they're promoting? Do you not look at their agenda and see what they're doing? 
children and I began to explain all these different things that, that they were doing that had an antichrist spirit behind it from the killing of babies to all of these different kinds of things and this was his reply to me oh I know that there are some in that party that's pushing that but that is so far out there and that is so far out in the out there that it is never going to happen that will never come to pass oh how blinded we quickly uh, how blinded we are and how quickly that we forget the very thing that is obvious and that's in your face and blatant is so over the top that many ignore the agenda of the devil due to it being unbelievable oh that'll never happen that can't, that's just so far out there that is a conspiracy theory that ain't going to happen in the land who would have ever thought that in America that we have not only have abortion where we kill innocent babies but we have partial birth abortion this is when the baby is partially birthed and they jab it in the head and they kill it and they abort this little child's life who would ever thought that we in America would have become so brutal and barbaric can I have an amen who would have ever thought that the people who exposed the selling and the harvesting of these aborted babies body parts would be on trial with the charge of over 10 felonies on their life where they could end up in prison for the rest of their life just as exposing this while those that profited from the human tissue and the fetus and the body parts of unborn children they remain uncharged with any crimes whatsoever and they continually keep the human trafficking market open and they're making millions off of it. It was almost like when President Obama said I will shut down coal mines in his presidential campaign. He literally said it. He told them what he was going to do and many in the coal country thought that statement was so absurd and so out there in left field and that it could never happen. The coal states bought into his presidency and they voted him in as president and guess what happened in those states? He shut down the coal mines just like he said he would. He kept his word. When Hillary Clinton was running for president she said the same thing. I'm going to shut down all kinds of coal mines and guess what? Those states that was voted for Obama the first time voted for Trump the second time because they believe that the impossible could become possible because they seen it with their very eyes. The only problem was it was too late. They had already been shut down. That was just an example that I'm going to give you. I want you to know that things that you think can be impossible are not impossible when there is spirits behind it that is promoting it and deceiving. And if we're not careful, we of the American people will actually allow things to be brought in because we are full of apathy and not paying attention to the signs of the time. Can I have an amen? Who would have ever thought that in America we would have same-sex marriages who are now not only illegal to do that, and not only is it illegal to do that, but now they're fighting for the right to adopt children. Who would have ever thought that we would have elected congressmen voting to dismantle the police force of American cities? Who would have ever thought that they would, they want you to call a social worker to come and negotiate with your intruder? If someone's gonna break in your house, call a social worker, don't call a police officer. Give a social worker, can you imagine that? I call my social worker 357. Can I have an amen? Somebody coming to my house, I'm not calling a social worker. Can you meet us at the front door and we'll try to negotiate this? And if he won't take everything, then I'll give him something where he'll go away and we'll all be happy. That is ridiculous. It is so absurd. You think that can happen in America. It's already happened in America. Who would have ever thought that America would get the point that elected Congress officials want to dismantle the complete financial structure of America? Who would have ever thought that a known socialist who ran for president would even have a voice or a following within America and he had millions? Who would have ever thought that the Attorney General of the United States being completely dishonored, disgraced, and accused of murder on the Congress floor this past week for sending law enforcement to protect federal buildings? Who would have ever thought that would happen, that congressmen would be doing that? Who would ever thought while you have murder, crime, theft, out of control in American cities due to rioting and protesting, that you would have congressmen, elected officials saying, that's just a myth, and they call it a peaceful protest. While they're burning down our cities, they're destroying property, they're hurting and throwing objects at police officers and killing people in the streets, and yet you got congressmen that's in denial and saying it's just a peaceful protest. Who 
would have ever thought that a man and a woman who were charged with felonies for protecting their home as people broke down their gates to come in and threaten them to burn their house and kill them while the perpetrators who were caught on tape, they could see who done it, has never been charged with anything. Who would have ever thought that rioters and violent protesters can gather by the thousands and not one thing happen, but when a church in California wants to gather, it's against the law and even against the law now for them to go home and have private Bible studies and private worship services. They have been ordered that they cannot sing, not only in their churches, but not even in their homes. They cannot speak out loud due to the threat of spreading the virus, but this does not apply to rioters or protesters. This is absurd, folks. Can I have an amen? Can I have an amen in the house? Who would have ever thought that major, that mayors of cities are now saying that they will arrest federal officers if they try to come in and arrest people that break the law in their cities. Who in their right mind would call our president, the elected president of the United States, whether you like him or not, who in their right mind would call him Hitler and compare federal law officers as men of the Holocaust for trying to enforce law and keep order in our, in our streets? This is what some of our elected congressmen are doing with all of this going on and even though there is a responsibility as me as a pastor and shepherd to address these things that I do on a regular basis, yet I'm concerned with as much that has happened around our nation, I sometimes believe that it is used to divert our attention off of our mandate as a church. I believe that the enemy has set up a smoke screen and has sent out distractions to the body of Christ during these perilous times. And I want to try to keep the body of Christ warned. I want to try to keep them up to date and what's going on in our land. I do want to do that. But we cannot quit preaching the cross of Jesus Christ and spreading the love of Jesus and saving the lost and discipling the saints for the work of the ministry. We cannot get off of the mandate at hand and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you stand and give God praise? Just give him praise for who he is. Amen. Praise the Lord. Many are asking, what does the church do in these perplexing times? The talk host Larry King was asked one time if he could choose one person to interview from the past history, who would it be? He replied, it would be Jesus Christ. The follow-up question was, then what would you like to ask Jesus? And Larry King replied, I would like to ask him if he was truly virgin born. And then he added, the answer to that question would define history for me. Larry King knew that if Jesus was truly virgin born, how many believe he was born of a virgin? <laughs> he, Larry King believed that if he was truly born of a virgin, that it would mean that he was truly the son of God that he said he was and that he is truly the savior of the world. In the mind of Larry King, this would define all truth for all generations and nothing else would really matter in life if we could come to that understanding. Upon this belief in the virgin birth of Jesus, it would answer to him all of life's questions. He then said, if I knew he was virgin born, I would embrace Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, and I'd tell the world, follow him. Amen. During these difficult times, I'm sure all of us would like to ask Jesus difficult questions than why we asking them. Especially when we're faced with such difficult choices in these perilous times. With a question asked, what is the church to do in perplexing times? That's asked to me all the time. My answer is, what did Jesus do in similar circumstances in his life. We are to do what he, our master, done. Can I have an amen? As I begin to think about my responsibility and trying to keep up with the current events and address this body on every single issue, the thought came to me, Kent, don't lose focus by trying to address every single issue, but address truth to all generations. There is so much focus on the world affairs and there's very little focus on the kingdom of God in the, in the church. We're so focused on what's going on that we're not seeing what God's up to. We're not paying attention to the spirit. We're all overwhelmed by the natural. You and I have got to take off the natural mind and quit being fearful and stand up and declare, Jesus sits on the throne. 
Nothing has caught him by surprise. He knows what exactly is going on. And though the enemy seems to be advancing, though the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against them. If God be for us, who can be against us? I gotta get off of that. I'll preach too long there. Amen. But I'm concerned that we've lost our focus of the real issue that is at hand. The gospel teaches us what we are to do in every situation. Did you not do not know that? The Holy Spirit is leading to come to guide us into all truth. He's to teach us everything that there is to know about what Jesus would do in certain circumstances. John chapter 14, verse 16 says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come, for he shall receive the mind and show it unto you. The Holy Spirit is here to reveal Jesus Christ in every situation. He leads and guides in all truth. You and I have got to come to the place where we quit seeking Fox News and start seeking the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? We're too consumed about what's going on and we're not consumed about who Jesus is. Our passion is being depleted because we are too consumed by what's taking place around us. Then there's the example of Jesus' life and ministry in scripture itself. While we preach on current events, there's a silence from the pulpit on preaching on the cross, the Holy Spirit, the second coming, grace, forgiveness, and other doctrines, beautiful doctrines of the scripture. Our main focus as a church should be upon mimicking Jesus Christ. Discipleship means to imitate Jesus in thought, word, and in action. We are to think like Jesus, which will cause us to speak like Jesus, which will cause us to walk like Jesus. And to ask what is the church to do in these perplexing times, it's admitting that we're truly not got our focus upon discipleship. Can I have an amen? amen? Remember that our citizenship is not of this world. Our allegiance is to the lordship of Jesus Christ who's over our lives. He's Lord. It was the apostle Peter that gave us some of the most important principles in our text for imitating the choices, uh, the choices that Jesus, the, chief, the choices that Jesus would make. Listen to what it says in First Peter two twenty one. For even in, for even unto here unto you were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His footsteps. The introduction by Peter in this passage was important, and he started out by saying this: "To this you were called." In other words, the reference was to salvation, that we were called unto salvation. And our salvation is more than just for the sake of missing hell, but it's the transformation of life where regeneration makes all things new in our lives. Titus 3 and 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. I love 2 Corinthians. We quote it sometimes around here. Chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. The old man is to be put off and the new man is to be put on. Colossians 3 and 3, Paul said, you are dead and your life is hidden God in Christ. Can I have an amen? The old man is to be dead and we are to live in the new life that has been risen in Jesus Christ through the new birth. Do I have anybody that's been born again in this place? Amen. You're a new creature. Our life is redirected in the way of Christ. All life is redirected by the way of the cross. Can I have an amen? amen. Therefore, we should know what to do, how to act, how to conduct ourselves in the time of pandemic and crisis. It was the apostle Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, be ye followers of me even as I follow Christ. He's suggesting here to be an imitator. To be an imitator means to act out. And sometimes, folks, you don't always feel what you act out. It's called discipline. Can I have an amen? amen? There's some things that Jesus did, and if I'm to follow his footsteps, I'm not going to like doing it. It goes against the flesh. Come on. It goes against the grain. It does, sometimes doesn't make common sense. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Everything's, everything's backwards. Someone slapped you on the right cheek, turn the left off, so that's hard. Come on, somebody say that. Sometimes you don't always have to feel it. Sometimes we gotta understand. One woman said, well, I just don't feel it, so I won't do it, and if you don't always do, if you only do what you feel, you're not gonna be doing much for God, and you're gonna be doing a lot for yourself. Can I have an amen? 
There's a lot of things that I do for God I don't enjoy or like at first until I start imitating. And as I imitate him, I'm putting him on. And when I put him on, his presence comes and enables me. And there's a sweet union that gives me the strength and the ability to do it with joy and happiness. Can I have an amen? To be an actor, you say it's hypocritical. No, it's not. It's not a hypocrite to do something that you don't feel. If you don't do what you don't feel, you're never going to be able to follow Christ in the fullness of his power. Amen? There's some of you that didn't want to be here this morning. But you're here. And after you got here, you're glad you come. Can I have an amen? I, I could preach there a while. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3 and 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, say holy brethren. Partakers of the heavenly. We're partakers. Oh, my goodness. I'm wanting to chase a rabbit right there. He said, consider. Say the word consider. The apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The writer was just simply saying here, look to him. Consider him. Follow him. Glean from him. Learn of him. Imitate him. That's what he's saying. Matter of fact, look what the writer of Hebrews says again. Hebrews 12 and 2. Look under the author and the finisher. We look to him. Look to the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus looked to the cross with joy because he despised the shame. And he didn't want to go to the cross. How do I know that? Because in the garden he prayed, Lord, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. And he came to the conclusion it was the will of the Father for him to go to the cross. So why did he say, if it's the will of God, I might as well choose it with joy. Instead of grudging, and he done it, he despised the shame that came with it. And where did it get him? It gave him to an exalted position set at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Give the Lord praise for that. It was Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lonely in heart and you shall find rest under your souls. Jesus said, take my yoke. Do you understand what that means? I preached the whole message on that and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but as oxen are yoked together, how many knows you put one oxen out there, he can pull a lot, but put two together and see what happens. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me as an oxen is yoked together, even so we are to be yoked together with Christ. That we're to have a yoke around us that's hooked up to the power source of Jesus Christ. We are to learn from him. We are to see and to follow his example. What did 1 Peter 2.21 again say? For even here too were you called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his footsteps. The Greek word for example in this passage of scripture is the word hypogramma, which is an outline sketch that children use to write and to draw to learn by. So this passage is saying, when you break it down in the Greek, that Christ has laid such an example that even a child can follow it. Think about that. As a matter of fact, it suggests what Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 3. Verily I say to you, except you be converted and become as, a little ch as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless someone sees to the eyes of conversion and becomes like a little child in simplicity, he will not understand the things of the kingdom of God. Everybody's always looking for something deep in the kingdom of God, a new revelation, a new word, a new awe. I want to tell you the things that God does blows you away, but it's so simple. Just simplicity. We overlook the simple things and don't despise the simple things of the world. He's chosen them to confound the wise. Can I have an amen? amen? God speaks to us in simple terms to when we can understand it. Thank God he does or you and I we're so beneath the knowledge of God that none of us can understand if he talked in his knowledge. Can I have an amen? The power of God is revealed through simplicity, which is easily understood to those of us that is leading, being led by the Spirit. Now, this is why Jesus said in reference to us lead, learning of him and being yoked together with him, what did he say? My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Being a Christian ain't a hard thing to do. Being a Christian ain't a hard thing to do. That's going over like a lead balloon. You say, why is there so much fight and struggle? It's because we're not dying out and yoking together with Christ. Amen? 
John said, if any man love me, he'll keep my commandments. And the man that said, don't keep my commandments and says that he loves me, he's a liar and the truth ain't in him. But he said, my commandments are not grievous. They're not hard. Why are they not hard? Romans chapter 5, 5, because God writes his commandments on our hearts, by, not with ink or by pen, but by the Holy Spirit. That when we truly get converted, God begins to just put it in our hearts to obey. It's a natural thing to want to obey because Jesus has placed that desire in our hearts. Delight yourself with the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. That don't mean if you desire a Cadillac, he'll give you a Cadillac. It means that when you delight in him, he takes of his desires and places them in your heart. Oh my, I'm not going to get done here today. The real challenge that we face today in the church is not to understand everything that's going on in our world. Love not the world, neither things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God, it's him that abideth forever. We're not to be so caught up in the things of the world and what's going on. and every, we, we don't have to understand everything that's going on, folks. But you know what? There's one thing we got to do. Our main purpose is to be obedient to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Just follow Jesus. If I was going to give you advice here today, what to do in perplexing times, follow Jesus. That's simple, isn't it? Follow Jesus. Again, what did he say? Follow his footsteps. As a matter of fact, Psalms Chapter 30, uh, 30, 136 verse 33 says, I will make your feet like hind's feet and put you in high places. What does that mean that God's gonna make my feet like hind's feet? A hind is like a deer and when that deer jumps out, his front feet land and it tests the ground and if the ground is sure, his back feet will jump right smack dab where the front feet are because it's tested ground. God, through Jesus Christ, sent his son, his son died on the cross his son has paved the way. He's the catalyst for me to follow. He has set footprints out there that has secured my standing. All I have to do is walk in the footsteps that he, my Savior, walked in. Isn't that simple? And when I do, he said, I'll make your feet like hind's feet. You follow my footsteps. Where does it lead? He said, I'll put you on my high places. Ephesians says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can I have an amen? And the steps of a good man are ordained of God. I can follow him. Jesus said again in John 3, 15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Amen? That's why the Paul said in Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to think, act, and do exactly what Jesus would do. As a whole, the church world is clueless of what to do in these times of test and trial. I've never seen so much chaos, fighting, friction, fear. The Christian community has fallen prey to fear and anxiety, worry, stress, and all other kinds of bondage. Can I have an amen? Many are leaving the faith because iniquities abounding and they're scared to death of what's taking place and they're fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 12 when he says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 15. I love this. I'm going to go slow right here. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. Now, the God of patience and consolation. Oh, aren't you glad that God gives you consolation? Guys, that is a message right there. The God of patience and consolation, God is patient, and he's teaching you patience through tribulation, and he consoles you through the process. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what he's saying there? God will always have a remnant on the earth. God will always have imitators, those who will mimic their master. He's always going to have them. There's going to be individuals, small group, portions in areas around the earth that will be a remnant that will be faithful to the Lord and, and they will follow Jesus Christ. But God is in search for a body, a church, a group of people in these last days that can unify in the faith and be a prophetic word within the land. And I decree 
that the palace of praise shall be such people. Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, every Sunday we say this in our declaration. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. Do you realize what God can do with a church, with a body, with a group of people, though there's many members of us, yet we're all like-minded and that mind is like Christ Jesus. We're not like-minded in ourselves, but we're like-minded in the thing that Jesus has placed there. And though there be many bodies, yet they speak with one mouth, then God can be glorified in the church and it takes you back to Psalms 133. It's like the precious ointment to be unified together. It's like precious ointment that ran down Aaron's beard, even down to his skirt, and it is there that God has commanded blessings forevermore. That when we come in here saying, we've made up our mind as a congregation not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes around and every cunning, crafty thing that the devil puts before us and we're not gonna whine and cry and fall fearful and fall into bondage, but we're coming in as victors in Jesus Christ. We're like-minded that Christ Jesus is Lord and we'll praise him with one mouth and one heart and with one mind, God will command blessings forevermore. more praise. Now that we're saved we all, and we're all transformed and we're all changed by the power of the cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit, now we are charged to live out that salvation in these perilous times. We're not only, you know, this is not only what Jesus would do now it's what he always did. Amen? Philippians 2 and 12 tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What's that telling us? We're to live out our salvation. Work it out. It's to come out of us. Are you listening to me? We're to imitate Jesus and be of his body and do as he would do. Walk as he would walk. Act as he would act. Conduct himself as he would conduct himself. Look like him. Speak like him. Talk like him. Come on. That's what he's saying. Let that salvation that's in you work out of you. It's not to be something that we come in here and just get so full of. You know what? Some churches are so full that God can't bless them because they're not doing anything with anything with what they've been blessed with. They're sitting here about to pop. And they're just sitting here getting fat, fat sheep grazed around. And I want to tell you, you know what happens to fat sheep? They fall over and they can't get up and they end up dying. God did not make you to be a reservoir. He made you to be a spigot. To that which he puts in, he puts out. And the more you put out, the more he puts in. God can't do more things with you if he can't trust you with what he's already given you. Chuck Lambert one time was praying. said, give me faith, God. He's crying. I'm going to tell off on you, Chuck. I used to call him. He'd get up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'd call him sometimes at 9 or 10. I said, what are you doing? He said, what do you think I'm doing? I'm in bed. So he reversed the tables. About 3 or 4 in the morning, he called me, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm in bed. He called me up one morning real early, and he said, you know what? The Lord just spoke to me. And I said, no, and I really don't care at 4 o'clock in the morning, Chuck. He said, oh, I was praying, and I knew the situation that he was going through, and he was agonizing. God, give me more faith. Give me more faith. Help me in this time of trial. And God spoke to him and said, until you use the faith that I've given you, I'll never be able to give you any more. We as a church, we're wanting more of God than we got to represent God more. We got to walk him out. We got to talk him out. We got to act him out through our lives. And the more we become like him and act like him, the more he can trust us with, and the more he can trust us with the things that he wants to give us will blow your mind. But he can't give it to you if you're going to be heady and high-minded and powerful. God give grace to the humble, but he resisted the proud. We've got to be able to handle the things that God, how many's ready for revival and a great awakening? but then be sober of like-mindedness in Christ and speak with one mouth as the palace of praise. Put on, imitate, act out Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? It's not only about how much we can speak, yell it, or proclaim it. That's important. But it's how much we show it by living it. Folks, I want to tell you, our example is important. Amen? 
If what we say is do, different than what we do, then we're not going to have much of a witness in our community. Let's just look at some of the examples that Jesus gave us in our text during the time of trouble. And I've got about four points. I'll probably just get to one of them. Jesus chose integrity in the face of temptation. Do we? I can honestly say I have failed in that area before. How many has ever failed in temptation? Raise your hand. Those of you that have never failed, would you please leave? Because we don't want no perfect people around here. <laughs> We've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. But Jesus chose integrity in the face of temptation. And thank God for those of us that fail. First John 1 and 9, if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when our text was talking about suffering wrongfully and enduring grief, it said this about Jesus in 1 Peter 1.22 again, or 2.22, who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Wow, do you know what that's saying? One of the number one things that we're going to be faced with in these last days, this is a prophetic word to you, is our response in the time of injustice. What's our, going to, our response going to be when there's times of injustice? Because it's here. If you don't see that the church is under attack, folks, you're blind. You know what they done last night in Portland, Oregon? Started bringing the Bibles out and burning them in the streets and defiling Christianity. It's here. We told you it's coming. Now how are you gonna act when what's happening in these different places around the city begins to happen in your neighborhood? What's your conduct gonna be? What's your speech gonna be? What's your actions, your attitude gonna be? How's it going to affect you on an individual basis? One of the number one things is just understanding that times of injustices is coming so prepare, embrace yourself and how you're going to act to them. How are you going to respond to them? Are you going to be a reactor and a responder? Or are you going to take control and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? One of the hardest things to do is suffering wrongly or suffering for things you did not do or suffering for things for righteous sake. That's one of the hardest things to do. Peter made it very clear that God gets no glory out of people who suffer for their wrongdoing. But he said, if you suffer for righteous sake and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. This may be a bitter pill to swallow, but I want to tell you, it's Jesus' example. It may not be easy to follow, but we're to imitate him and follow him anyway. Can I have an amen? It's quiet now. Now, I'm pastoring now. When I'm kind of preaching about victory, you shout with me. But when I get down to the nitty-gritty, it's hard to accept. It's a bitter pill. Look at Galatians 5 and 22. For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Oh, yeah, we can handle that. Joy. Oh, we can handle that. Woo, that's the best one. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering. Oh. Congregation gets quiet on that one. What does, I say this all the time. What does long-suffering mean? Suffering long. Come on, it's simple. You don't have to dissect that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Gentleness. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. It's hard to be good to people that's not good to you back. Amen? It's hard to be kind when they're not kind. It's hard to be gracious when they're not gracious. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, maintenance, temperance, self-control. How many have a problem with self-control? Man, this church is, everybody come to the altar and repent and ask God to forgive them. You're lying. All of us have problems with self-control. If I would allow myself this morning, I could have gotten a fight with my wife about what color shirt this was. <laughs> You're laughing. You have the same kind of frictions in your home. Don't give me that. I'm telling you, temperance is a hard thing to do. Jesus modeled a life of integrity. Integrity means truth, genuineness, honesty. The Bible says that there was no deceit found in his mouth. If it was not in his mouth, it was not in his heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks according to the book of Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. His heart was pure. And what did Matthew 5 and 8 say? Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. We want to see God, we got to be pure in heart. 
And this is why that David prayed over his life and he knew the, how important it was. And he said, I pray that your desire of truth may be in my inward parts. Proverbs 12 and 22 says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in the men, men who are truthful. According to John 17, 17, we're sanctified by truth. He said this, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. As a matter of fact, we are to walk in truth according to 3 John chapter 4. Not only are we to walk in truth and speak in truth and act in truth, but according to John 8, 31 and 32, we as a believer are set free by the truth in which we embrace. If you continue in my word, ye are my disciples. Say that. If, if you continue in my word, then you're going to be my disciples because he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we're faced with choices that tempt us to compromise our values, our principles, then let us do what Jesus did. Our example, Jesus Christ chose integrity over iniquity, sanctification over sin, holiness over happiness, purity over pleasure, love over lust, discipline over desire, eternal over the earthly. Them are hard things to do because I want to tell you, my flesh wants to sin. It wants me to be happy. It wants me to be pleasurable. It wants me to lust. It wants me to desire unhealthy things. And it wants me to mind after earthly things. Everything that Christ done is he put that aside and I am to follow his example. When we're faced with these kinds of additions, we cannot cut corners. We have to stand for our whole faith. We can't squander it. You know what the book of Proverbs 23, 23 says? Buy the truth and don't sell it out. Don't, don't give it away. Don't squander your life. After you come to the knowledge of truth, don't throw it away. Can I have it, man? The second thing, and I won't preach all of this, that Jesus done in our text was he chose forgiveness in the face of insult and injury. Folks, this is coming. It's not just doing what's right in the time of injustice, but it's learning now how to walk away with forgiveness of those that's done it to you. That's hard. I might be able to bite my teeth. Me and my boys were deer hunting a few years ago. There's a farmer that's very gracious to my, me and my family. He owns a farm over at Dudley where I was raised, where I like to go. Several acres there. And he said, Kent, you can take anybody you want down there. Go down there as much as you want. Do what you want. Don't worry about rutting it up. Don't worry about anything. I got tractors. He'll take care of all that. He just... Let me pay the bills. Let me pay the insurance. You hunt down there all you want. Take your boys. And during deer season, we go down there. And He had a farmer leasing it, and that farmer didn't like me hunting on it. And every time I go down there, he'd chew me out and cuss me up down one side or the other. And I'd say, just, I'd just say, will you call, you call so-and-so, and he'll take care of this. I don't want to call him. And I'd call him. The guy would get on there and straighten him out, and we'd go on hunting. And one day, I took the boys with me. He confronted us, and he's, he's just going off. And Jonathan, I just put my hand out. Whoa, boy. <laughs> ben. And that, you know, that's like, Ben's like a squirrel, man. <laughs> I was wondering. And he keep on, and boy, they just, man, they just, instead of fighting him, I'm fighting them and their reaction. We got done and we worked out a peaceful solution. I didn't have to say anything ugly, didn't have to say anything mad. I didn't have to do any of that. And the next few weeks, Jonathan said to me, I don't even know if he remembers saying it to me. He said, Dad, you sure taught me something that day. Kind word turns away wrath. It's easy sometimes to say, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have peace here. I'm gonna choose peace over war. He's cussing, he's spitting, he's throwing things. One day I went and got in my stand and he went about 40 feet from it and just put his truck to the floor. Wah! Tried to drive the deer away and the deer got curious and come up and I killed one. I said, do it again, buddy. <laughs> in my flesh, I was sitting there thinking, I hope he blows it up, I hope he blows it up. And in my spirit, I'm saying, God, forgive me for having that thought. God, forgive me for having that thought. <laughs> come on, I'm human. I sat there in that state and struggled. And when the deer come out, I thought, oh, God, you're so wonderful. <laughs> and what's so bad about it is, 
that you heap hot coals of fire on the head when you're nice. You know, when I drug that deer out, it heaped hot coals of fire on that man's head. Being a peaceful with insult and injury. You always heard the story, wounded people, wound others. That don't always have to be. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and through his stripes were healed. Go look at the things that they called him in scripture. I got all those scriptures. I was going to quote every one of them. They called him a wine bibber, a drunkard. They called him a gluttoner. They spit in his face. They bit him with their teeth. Come on. They called him Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. This man's of the devil. They called him a lunatic. They called him crazy. He's not in his right mind. This man has lost his mind. What if he was going through the public humiliation that Jesus, they're screaming this, they're in his face, they're this close. It's easy to maybe resist somebody that's maybe this far away, but they're when in your face like that. Boy, you're ugly, Mike. Green. Women stick together. But the truth of the matter is this. That no matter what kind of insult or injury that comes your way, you got to choose forgiveness as our master did. For the forgiveness is not setting them free. The forgiveness is setting you free. Because if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly father forgive you of your trespasses. Insult and injury. Mother Teresa's got a a poem that I'll try to close with because time is out of hand, but there was a third point that I was going to give to you, and that is in the time of perplexing times. There's another thing that Jesus did. You know what else he did? He trusted in the one he committed himself to. I love that last verse of scripture. It says this, if I can find it here. Well, I skipped all those notes. Who was when revived, revived not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. That's what Jesus did. He said, you know what? When the insults, the injustices, when he was on the cross, they beat him, they whipped him, they smeared his name, they spit on him, they t- took him and shamed him and took his clothes off of him and all of that. The whole plea of our master was this. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get vengeance. Vengeance is not ours. It's of the Lord. And those of you that carry vengeance, it's going to bring bondage to your life. And God cannot be the advocate because you chose to fight your own case. And when you choose to lay it down, he picks it up and he becomes your advocate, your interceder. He becomes your lawyer in the courts of heaven. I'll try to find this poem and then I'll read it then I'll close with the Lord's help. Mother Teresa's poem went like this. It was to the children in Calcutta. It's on the wall there in the orphanage where she worked. People often are unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. Listen to this. What you spend years creating, others can destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find sincerity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good that you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and that will still never be enough, but give your best anyway. This is what I love. In the final analysis, it will be between you and God, and it was never between you and them anyway. Would you stand with me, please?